We continue our reading this morning from Luke chapter 24, reading verses 50 through 54. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. The ascension of Jesus occurs at the end of Luke's gospel and marks an important turning point for the gathered community known as the church. And following Jesus to the point of his arrest, His disciples were stricken with grief, traumatized as they watched their dear friend so unjustly treated, his life a mockery, his body made to become a public spectacle of the Roman government, whose sanctioning of state-sponsored violence was altogether indefensible and no less effective at substantiating the claims of the emperor to be divine and not less than the very Son of God, worthy of the people's humble submission and allegiance. Because the emperor's authority was synonymous with the empire itself, the love of state became a visible symbol of the people's worship and devotion. Citizenship was the price paid in exchange for this idolatry. That is why crucifixion was maintained as a method of capital punishment and was so successful. It was not a means to protect citizens from each other, but a mechanism to defend the empire itself from anyone who would dare to question the right to rule of Caesar. The assumption being made by such a practice is not only that the emperor has the authority to determine who lives or dies, but that the empire has no choice but to maintain a policy of violence, demanding the perpetual sacrifice of human beings, anyone deemed to be a threat, without which the empire could not be preserved. Beneath this lies an assumption that is even more disturbing the notion that violence can be wielded optimistically and without any harmful or unintended consequences. These are false and dangerous claims to be sure because violence is not a means to achieve and to sustain peace. It can only be a path of inhumanity. And humanity for the victims whose lives have been disregarded and humanity for the perpetrators who must live with their decisions, 
and humanity for the innocent bystanders who are enticed to make the false choice between choosing violence and being a victim. Let history be a lesson to us that those who believe they must choose between doing violence and being a victim will in the end suffer both of them. We know that the choice between doing violence and being a victim is a false choice because it is not the choice that God in Christ has made. Jesus himself, who suffered the violence of Roman crucifixion, did not answer violence with violence, but spoke saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What does this mean? It means that the suffering of Jesus was a suffering in solidarity with all the victims of history. It means that the death of Jesus was not the result of God's violence, but our own. And it means that the resurrection of Jesus is not the redemption of violence, but the rejection of violence as being in any way consistent with the true nature and character of God. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Jesus lives not as one who kills, but as the one who chooses not to. Christ does not lead by force because his lordship does not need defending. Thus, there are no weapons in the kingdom of God whose peace has no borders, whose reign is faithful love, and whose way of being is a community of redemption. Such a confession no doubt has implications for those who seek to follow Jesus and to place their trust in him. For as the writer of 1 John expresses concerning the vocation of the people of God, as he is, so are we in this world, who is the true God and eternal life. Consequently, we experience in today's reading claims not only of the character of Jesus, but of his church. The ascension of Jesus tends to be read with the goal of understanding what it means for Jesus. Though what is perhaps most striking about the end of Luke's gospel is not what happens to Jesus, but what happens to the church. It would seem that this is Luke's intention all along. For his gospel does not conclude with an emphasis on the parting of Jesus, but with an emphasis on the remaining of the disciples. As if to say, Jesus ascended and the story continues. The purpose of the ascension story is not that the disciples had to learn how to live without Jesus, but that the church must learn how to live with Jesus as Lord, the one who is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. We return, therefore, to the reading once more, making note of several observations that help us to better understand what it means that Jesus is Lord. Luke records that he led the disciples out from Jerusalem as far as Bethany. And if you're looking at a map, you would immediately discover that Bethany is not very far from Jerusalem. Suffice it to say that the risen Jesus did not lead the disciples very far at all before he was parted from them. But if that's the case, why does it matter that he led them at all? 
If we shift our perspective just a little, we can read and see that it matters precisely because it means that they were following him. Not as individuals, but in community with each other. Jesus led the community of disciples as far as Bethany because it was not meant for him to lead them any further. After all, it would not be long before they would receive the Holy Spirit who would lead them onward and with boldness that they might share the good news in word, in deed, and by the manner of their life together. Not with pride, but with boldness. Not with arrogance, but with boldness. Not with cruelty, but with boldness. Not with foolishness, but with boldness. A willingness to take risks and to demonstrate the courageous love of Jesus. Such that when they later suffered opposition from the authorities in Acts chapter 4, they prayed for boldness. And the scriptures say that the place in which they were gathered was shaken. As the Holy Spirit filled them with a common purpose and a sense that they were not alone. After Jesus had led them to Bethany, he lifted his hands and he blessed those who were with him. This is the first of three instances of blessing in these verses. The word blessing that is used here signifies a request for a bestowal of divine favor. It means, in other words, that Jesus was asking God to give them grace for all that was about to take place. It also means that the final act of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is to bless those who follow him. And what is more, it is in that moment of blessing that Jesus parted from them and was carried into the realm of the divine. That is, into the very fullness of the presence of God. Not only as the eternal Son of God, but as the one who became a human being, who was crucified and is risen. The word used here to denote the parting of Jesus can mean to go away, but it's also a word that is used to mark the passage of time. And as this is happening, the gospel writer tells us that they worshiped Jesus, an indication of the significance of this moment for the community. And in fact, it is the only time in the gospel of Luke that the word worship is used. And to be sure, Luke is a very careful writer. So it must be an indication that Luke was reserving the use of this word for this moment when the community, for the first time, worships Jesus. A word that communicates their own deep dependence on him. To say it another way, in Luke's gospel, the only one who is worshipped is Jesus. As if to say that the disciples' experience in this moment was one of transition. It's not that Jesus was abandoning them, but that for their sake, he was going on ahead of them yet again in order to lead them even still from the side of God. Now you might think that this would be a wonderful way to end the gospel story. 
But that's not what happens. Because the community, having just experienced what they can only respond to with worship, turn around and go back into Jerusalem. Only now, as they are returning, Luke adds that they are doing so with great joy. Now, let us agree that joy all by itself is pretty good. But great joy, that is something else altogether. And in fact, great joy is what a divine messenger announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. You remember, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. We can easily hear the connection, but why go back to Jerusalem? The reason they go back to Jerusalem is because they trust Jesus. And to the very place where they have just been, the place where he suffered and they saw, the place where he was killed, the place where the tomb is now empty, This place, Jesus tells them, will be the place where God's promise to send the Holy Spirit will be fulfilled. In the very place where they had been afraid of their neighbors, soon they would go out and minister among them to serve and to care, to build and to befriend, to heal and to restore proclaiming life and hope and good news in visible and tangible ways, calling out the injustices of their day and declaring that the one who was dead is alive and that God's true peace had come to pass. So Jesus tells them, stay in the city. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until the city becomes the site of the redemption of God. And so they go, and they stay, and they wait, and they spend their time together in the temple giving praise to God. And that's how Luke's gospel ends, with the disciples readying themselves as best they can for what comes next and the coming fulfillment of God's promises in their lives. The very presence of the Holy Spirit who would change them, who would stretch them, who would grow them and shape them and transform them beyond anything they had ever experienced before. Sending them out with a radical openness to be part of a new community forged by the love and mercy of Jesus. Much as Luke's gospel suggests, the story of Jesus is not finished. And by the grace of God, we are now part of it, called to participate in the redemption of history and into a future that God alone makes possible. If it had been up to the Roman Empire, the cross would have been the end of the story. But it wasn't up to them. 
God has other plans. And because Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Therefore, the church owes no allegiance to any authority whatsoever which opposes the dominion that the love of God in Christ sustains. Instead, we trust all that we are and are being redeemed to become. All of creation itself is being held in the faithful care of the one on whom we can depend, who alone is worthy of our worship, who has ascended to the right hand of God, who defeated death and gives salvation, whose way of life is life for us. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Story without end. Amen.